All right, so uh, Mark 8, 34 through 38. You know uh, that, that buying a house is, is probably the most, or the biggest decision you'll make in your life, at least financially speaking, right? This is the largest amount of money uh, you're ever gonna spend, uh, more than likely. So uh, when we buy a house, uh, we wanna be sure uh, that we know what we're getting, right? And, and that's why we wanna know that we're, we, we've checked with the, the local realtors, that we're paying a fair price, that the appraisal comes back right, and, and we know uh, that the price we're paying is a fair price. And we also want to hire a professional inspector so that they can find things that our eyes can't see, you know, a, a leaky roof or a cracked foundation, things like that that we're not qualified to see. And so we want to be sure we know exactly what we're getting uh, before we plunk down all that money, right? We want to know uh, that we're walking into the deal with our eyes wide open and that there are no surprises. Well, Jesus wants us to enter into the walk of discipleship in the same way. Because deciding to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is an enormous commitment. It's not a little thing. Uh, and Jesus wants us to enter it with our eyes wide open so that we have no surprises. So the walk of Christian discipleship starts with belief. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead? Well, that's wonderful. You're a believer and you're saved. That's the most important decision you'll ever make. But after we become a believer, Jesus calls us on this walk of discipleship with him. Uh, and so uh, he wants us to be a disciple. And a disciple uh, is, is not someone who simply believes, but someone who follows hard after Jesus, who, who wants to follow Jesus on, his, on the road of the discipleship, dedicating his or her life uh, to doing that. Uh, and being a disciple may cost us everything. It may cost us all kinds of trouble. The, 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 the walk of discipleship is loaded with hardship and trouble that we're going to find uh, along the way. Uh, but the rewards of being Jesus' disciple exceed by far anything that the world can offer us. And you remember in the passage we looked at last week, Jesus confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, right? You are the Messiah. Well, that was great uh, as far as it went. Uh, he knew Jesus' identity, but he didn't understand the mission. And so Jesus explained that the Messiah must suffer, he must be rejected, and he must be killed and rise again. And Peter immediately showed that he didn't understand Jesus' mission. He takes Jesus aside to rebuke him for saying these things. Yes, you're the Messiah, but let's do it my way, right? So clearly not understanding who Jesus is. And so Jesus rebuked Peter and said, you do not have in mind the things of God, uh, but the things of man. Uh, and the things of God for Jesus, that included Jesus going to the cross, uh, dying on the cross as punishment for our sins. Now, for us, the things of, of God uh, may include uh, all kinds of suffering and difficulty as we walk on this road of discipleship, but we are to follow wherever God leads. And Jesus wanted his apostles, and he wanted the crowd to understand now uh, what he was calling them to. See, we have to know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and what it may cost us. It's the greatest decision we'll ever make, but it requires total commitment. And my concern is that, that we have it so easy in American and Western Christianity that we really don't understand what the cost of discipleship is. We don't understand what Jesus' call to discipleship actually means. And so uh, in this passage, we're going to learn exactly what we're signing up for uh, so that we go into this with our eyes wide open, no surprises. 
So Jesus gives us three requirements of what a disciple is in verse 34. And then he explains the extent uh, that uh, this total commitment to Jesus is uh, in some penetrating questions that he asks in verses 35 to 38. Uh, so let's read the whole passage and then we'll talk about uh, the three requirements of a disciple. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So, first thing, uh, the three requirements of a disciple. You know, I could just as easily preach a message of salvation from these verses as I could a message of discipleship. There, there, there's some, you know, some gray in here as to which one Jesus is talking about. Uh, as I said, salvation happens when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, uh, believing that Jesus died and rose from the dead. Discipleship, then, is the walk that follows belief. It's our walk of discipleship uh, which we, by which we, we choose to follow Jesus. And Jesus calls us not only to belief, but he calls us to discipleship, both things. And I'm going to focus more on discipleship uh, in this message, though there will be uh, some uh, allusions to salvation because Jesus clearly spoke about them. So after Jesus rebuked Peter, in verse 34, now Jesus uh, has turned back to the disciples and he's called the crowd to himself also. You see that in verse 34. So it's the disciples and uh, it's the crowd who, is with, uh, who are with Jesus now. And Jesus gave them the three requirements of a disciple. And the first requirement is this. He must deny himself. He must deny himself. He summoned the crowd to himself and said, if anyone wishes to follow me, he must deny himself. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to deny yourself? Uh, let, let's start by saying what denying yourself isn't, okay? Uh, because I think what we, what we think about when we think about denying ourselves is, is denying ourselves of, of certain specific uh, things a single time, something like that. So it's not about resisting specific physical things. Uh, so it's not, for example, like giving up ice cream for Lent, something like that. Uh, it's not going to serve one time at a food bank or, or you know, giving a special sum of money uh, to somebody who really needs it. Uh, so, so that's not what it is. It's not one-time denials. It's not one-time sacrifices. Uh, what it is, denying ourselves means to turn away from our whole self, uh, it, to, 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 uh, to, to say about ourselves, we are not living to serve ourselves at all any longer. We're now taking these bodies of ours. We're offering them as living sacrifices. We are going to serve the Lord with them. So it means turning away from self. It means denying self-centeredness, right? Because we are all uh, inclined toward self-centeredness. Uh, most of what we think, most of what we do, revolves around what's best for us, right? That's how we think. We want what gives us the greatest amount of comfort and what will cause us the least amount of discomfort. And so what Jesus is calling us to is to deny self, to deny this urge to put ourselves first, and instead to, to surrender to God's will, to, to, to know what God's will is, and then surrendering our will to his. 
And so discipleship means living in complete submission and obedience to God and whatever he calls us to, knowing that his plan is better than ours. So that's what denying self means. The second thing that Jesus talks about is for us to take up our cross. Take up our cross. Now you know that the cross was an instrument of torture in the ancient world. And Jesus' audience, of course, was quite familiar with it. They witnessed crucifixions uh, all the time, maybe even every day. And you know that in a Roman crucifixion, the vertical bar remains in place at the place of crucifixion, right? But the criminal, uh, the, the condemned man, was forced to carry the crossbeam from the place where he was condemned to the place of execution. And so he's usually naked. He's usually carrying his cross with the crowd jeering at him, spitting at him, throwing things at him. Uh, all kinds of humiliation is happening while he's on his way to the cross. And when he gets there, uh, they affix him to the crossbeam by either nails or rope uh, and hoist him up onto uh, the cross until uh, he can no longer breathe, suffocating because he doesn't have the strength to lift himself up anymore uh, to take another breath. And this is a long, uh, humiliating, and excruciating death. So what does Jesus mean when he tells us to take up our cross and follow him? Well, what it doesn't mean is dealing with the daily struggles of life, right? Our aches and pains, uh, our financial problems, uh, our wayward children, our difficult boss, those are not what Jesus meant, right? These are things that everybody in the world deals with because we all live in a fallen world. So Jesus was talking about the cross. When he was talking about the cross, he's talking about things that are specific things that will happen to us as a result of following Jesus. So the cross in this case is the will of God, doing the will of God uh, and, and also uh, obeying his call on our lives, whatever that may look like. So we all may have a different calling from God, right? God called me to be a preacher and here I am preaching to you. He's got a different call for each one of your lives, and hopefully you're all being obedient uh, to that call. But, but whatever call he's called us to, it might involve some suffering. It might involve some pain. Uh, and it comes not from the world because we live in the world, but specifically because we're following Jesus. That's the cross that Jesus is talking about, because we will be at odds with the world, right? Because the world does not share our values, because we are disciples of Christ. We believe in Jesus Christ and all that that means. So for Jesus, he carried a literal cross to Golgotha, and there he was crucified. Now, our cross most likely will not be a literal cross, right? In the West, we're not likely to be crucified for our faith, but we might. Who knows what will happen over the years? Uh, for countless martyrs around the world, uh, the cross has meant literal death, right? Millions of people have died for the name of Christ over the centuries. And that continues even today in countries around the world where it's not safe to be a Christian. And, and, and people are killed every day around the world for their faith in Christ. Now, for, for now, in the West at least, we are probably safe uh, from crucifixion. Uh, our, our cross is probably not literal. But that doesn't mean our walk won't be hard. Our walk may be very hard, and the world is against us because we preach that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, and the world does not like that message. We also believe in Jesus' values, his morality, his ethics, everything that Jesus stands for, and people don't want to hear about their sin problem, about their need to repent, their need for a savior, and the need to live God's way. 
They don't want to hear that message. Uh, and we, when we proclaim the gospel, uh, we will be persecuted for that message. But what I want you to notice here is that discipleship is a voluntary decision that we make. You know, the, 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 the pain and suffering that we experience in the world are aches and pains from aging or whatever else it is. We don't sign up for that, right? That's voluntary. That's involuntary just as a, as a point of living in the world. But taking up our cross, uh, denying ourselves, following him, that's a choice. That is a choice that we make, and it's a willingness to deny ourselves, to suffer for Jesus, to speak the truth, and to love his people sacrificially. And so a true disciple willingly answers God's call and does God's will. So we deny self, we take up our cross, and last, we follow Jesus. To follow means to, to willingly uh, take the same path as our leader. Uh, what is the extent of this following? Well, how far must we follow Jesus? Not half the way there, uh, not part of the way there, not even 99% of the way there. We follow him all the way. We follow Jesus all the way. Uh, to the end, even if it involves suffering, humiliation, persecution, hardship, even death, the one who perseveres is the one who proves to be a true disciple. Now, the Christianity that uh, are, is taught in many churches around uh, the country in particular is a far cry from what Jesus talked about in these verses, isn't it? The Christian life is not about having your best life now. And it's not about naming and claiming your financial freedom or your physical health. That is not what Jesus called us to. And so many churches nowadays are filling their seats, preaching a feel-good message about how Jesus wants you to be healthy and wealthy, uh, how he wants you to have your best life now. Uh, and that is a message that people want to hear. It tickles their ears. But that's not the message that people need to hear. The message that people need to hear is that they are sinners in need of a savior, and Jesus Christ is that savior. Now, these, these, these churches that I'm talking about, they, they preach uh, a, a message about a God, a God of love, and they fill their seats and they fill their coffers with messages like this. But they never talk about sin. They never talk about Jesus dying on the cross for sin. And they never talk about what our lives, what our walk is going to actually look like as a result of being disciples of Jesus. And so they're teaching a false Christianity. And that's why I get so personally enraged at the prosperity gospel preachers, because they're not preparing their people for reality, right? They're not telling the people the truth about what the Christian life is and what God calls us to. The promise, they promise their followers money and material things, and they make them disciples of health and wealth rather than disciples of Jesus. And that's a big, big problem. When life is hard and they suffer, what happens? They walk away from the faith because this is not what they were promised. Some false teacher told them, you're going to be healthy and wealthy. But Jesus never told them they were going to be healthy and wealthy. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. They get mad at God because their false preacher has lied to them, right? And it's not God's fault. It's the preacher's fault. But they have been sold a bill of goods. And so the road to heaven is not paved with health and wealth. It's paved with suffering as we walk the path that Jesus walked. And churches don't want to preach that message, uh, that, that it's inevitable uh, that as disciples live for God, they're going to face persecution from the world. 
And, you know, in a way, it's hard to blame them because, you know, if Christianity, if all it is is, you know, go out, love Jesus, and be prepared to suffer like crazy, well, who would ever want to be a Christian? Who would ever want to become a disciple if that's all we're promised is suffering? Well, you'd want to become a disciple because Jesus promises something so much better than health and wealth. He promises his love to us. He promises himself to us. He promises heaven to us, eternal life with him. And all the health and wealth in the world will never love you like Jesus loves you. That's why we would choose to follow him. There's nothing in the world like knowing your creator loves you, died for you, wants to live forever with you in heaven, and has provided the very way that we need to get into heaven. And he calls us to a life with him, a life of discipleship, that, that as Paul said, we might know the sufferings of Jesus so that we might become like him, even though the way is hard. And so we have to know the truth about what discipleship means. That's what this message is all about. What does it mean to be a disciple? But the only way we'll ever choose to take that difficult road is to know the love of our Savior. That's the only way we'll ever walk this road. We have to have the foundation uh, as the foundation, our love of Jesus Christ and his love for us. Now, it's easy for me to stand up here and throw stones at other churches who preach this prosperity gospel. But let's shine the light on ourselves a little bit so that we're not hypocritical about this. Because oftentimes, uh, with the very best motives, the very best motives, we love to tell other people about Jesus Christ. And when we do, we want so badly for them to make a decision for Christ on the spot, right? We, we want that. We want another scalp, right? We, we, we've, we've made somebody uh, a, a believer and a savior in the Lord Jesus and, and saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful thing. But we have to be sure that we're not sugarcoating what the gospel is, right? That we're not promising them what the health and wealth of prosperity preachers are promising, promising them their best life now. That's not what it is. Uh, so I just want us to be sure that, that when we preach the gospel message, uh, we, we preach the whole gospel message. That is, yes, Jesus died for our sins, rose from the dead. By faith in him, you have eternal life. And when you follow him, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it too. We need to preach all of these things. Let's not uh, uh, promise people an easy life. Christianity is not a call to easy believism. It's not hell insurance or a get-out-of-jail-free card. Belief is just the very first step in the Christian walk. Uh, but discipleship follows, obeying God no matter the cost. So a disciple uh, has to live this hard life, to take up his cross, deny himself daily, and follow him. And so those are the requirements of a disciple. Now, now Jesus explained these things, uh, the extent of what it means to be a disciple of Christ uh, in these next verses. Uh, <clears throat> if you look at, at uh, these verses, you'll see that each one of them begins with, the, which is the Greek word gar, G-A-R, which means for in English. Uh, and so for is a word that means we're about to explain something or, or give further detail about what's gone before. And the first explanation that Jesus gives here is that uh, we must lose our lives to gain them. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. And so here's the great paradox, right? We have to give up our life to gain it. And if we don't give up our life, we will lose it. So Jesus is obviously using the word life in two different senses here, right? There's our, there's our physical earthly life, and then there's our spiritual eternal life that Jesus is talking about here. And Jesus is saying, don't trade your eternal life 
uh, for whatever benefit you think there is by preserving your physical life. One has only minimal value, while the other has infinite, eternal value. Remember Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you cannot serve both God and money, for you will hate the one and you will love the other. You can't have both. Uh, Jesus also said there is a broad road and there is a narrow road, either or. Be sure you choose the narrow road that leads to the narrow gate that leads to salvation. Those on the broad road will all be lost. And so here in these verses is another either or choice. Uh, you can either choose to save your earthly life or you can choose to save your eternal life. So what did Jesus mean? What did he mean? Well, he meant that, that you can't have the sinful world and everything in it and the kingdom of God too. You cannot have them both. If you choose what the world has to offer, then you're not a true disciple and you're not going to uh, be in heaven with the Lord. So to lose our life for the sake of uh, Jesus and the gospel means forsaking the hedonistic pleasures that this world offers and to choose a life of self-denial and commitment to Jesus. Because what are our lives here other than an investment in our own eternity and in the eternity of others? That's how we're supposed to spend our lives. We're not to waste them in the pointless pursuit of pleasure that leads nowhere. We're supposed to use our lives to store up treasure in heaven, spending the very lives God has given us to advance his kingdom. And when we do this, we are committing our lives to Jesus Christ, uh, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. So the first thing we do is we lose our lives to gain them. We also forsake earthly profit for eternal profit. Uh, two very penetrating questions here. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will man give in exchange for his soul? So these two questions demonstrate that, that the, the futility of earthly wealth compared to the value of uh, infinite, or the infinite human soul. And here he seems to be talking a little bit more about salvation than discipleship, so we'll shift gears with him a little bit. <clears throat> you know, there are different kinds of currency, right? As we live on earth, the currency that we're familiar with is money. We work to earn a living, we work for money, and then we spend that money to buy the goods and services that we need. Uh, and if we earn more than we spend, uh, we start to build up an excess. Uh, in fact, some people have so much excess, uh, it's like they've gained the whole world, right? Uh, Musk, uh, Buffett, uh, Gates, right? Choose your multi-billionaire, whoever you'd like to choose. Uh, they can buy whatever they want, almost literally, buy whatever they want. It's like they've gained the whole world. But nothing they buy will last. And not even their lives will last, right? What do we get? 80 years? 90 years? That's kind of the limit of, of what human life is. Uh, so our, our system uh, on earth works on a system of money, what we can buy uh, and how much we can keep. But God has a completely different currency. Heaven does not run on money, does it? Heaven runs on faith. That's the currency and a life of discipleship. So I'm not saying excess money is bad, and I'm not saying it's a sin at all to be wealthy. But to have material wealth and then to have no spiritual currency is a terrible, terrible tragedy. You can't take it with you. Whatever you amass is going to be worthless when you face the Lord. And in fact, it may even become between you and the Lord. That's why Jesus said you can't love money and God. You will either hate one and love the other. And so often chasing after a dollar has cost people their very souls. 
Uh, we're going to learn about that when we talk about the rich young ruler in a couple of weeks. He's just one example. And the soul has ultimate value. No amount of money can purchase it. Only faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, by grace, God will give this soul to you for eternity if you believe. Uh, so our money is no good in heaven. Uh, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Obviously, the answer is nothing. What would he give in exchange for his soul? Would he give everything he had? But what do we have? All we have is monetary things, things of earthly value, unless we have believed that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. If we don't have that, if we don't have faith in the blood of Jesus, we have nothing to offer God. And you know, the irony is, is that so, so, so many times, you know, this health and wealth, prosperity gospel, uh, you know, it looks so good. And, and, you know, we want the, the nice car and the fancy house and the, you know, the, the lavish vacations and whatever else. But the irony is, is that people who love Jesus and live for him are truly the happiest people you're ever going to meet. They have the joy of knowing their Lord and Savior, that their eternity is secure and that no matter what they suffer here, it's a blip, right, compared to the, the, the knowledge of knowing where you're going to spend your eternity uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's simply no joy like knowing that you're in God's will uh, and serving him. And the reason there's so much misery uh, in the world, in Hollywood, especially among the rich and famous, the world's elite, is that they don't know God. That's what's missing. And they search for it in drugs and sex and whatever else they can get their hands on, but they're missing God. They're missing God. And so uh, they've traded their souls for the riches of the world. And that's tragic. And we see uh, last that denying Jesus has eternal consequences. Verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. So when Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me, all that means is whoever denies me. Whoever denies me, I will deny when I return, is what Jesus is saying. And this present sinful, adulterous generation and Jesus' sinful, present, adulterous generation denied him. And the sin that Jesus talked about was the sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief. To be ashamed of Jesus means to have denied him. It means that you have either not considered Jesus at all or you have considered Jesus, you've considered his claims, you've evaluated him and all that he offers, and you have found him wanting compared to what the world can offer you. And that's a decision with eternal consequences. Now, disciples, on the other hand, have weighed what the world offers. Money, power, sex, status, beauty, comfort, self-fulfillment, all these things where we, we seek pleasure. And like Paul said in Philippians 3, he said, I find it all to be rubbish compared to the value of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we prove what we believe by what we do. There is no room here for fence straddlers. Jesus didn't give us that, did he? He said, you're either a disciple or you're not. You're either in or you're out. And yet one can profess belief and still not follow Jesus. Discipleship is an either or choice. And so you deny yourself, you take up your cross and follow him or you don't. Now, what does this mean for believers? Because I think it's possible to be a believer and never truly become a disciple. And I think that's a very sad thing. For a believer, we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Our salvation is secure at that point. We are saved from God's wrath. But what happens 
when professing believers don't become disciples, when they choose not to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him? Well, I think there are, are three categories of people uh, that, that, that we could, we could uh, make out of people who don't actually ever become disciples. Uh, and the three categories, the first one is new Christians. You know, a new Christian is, is new to the faith. Uh, I remember when I was a new Christian, I had no idea what the walk of discipleship meant. I only knew uh, that I believed in Jesus and, uh, you know, I was going to learn what that meant and, and where my life was going to go from there. And so, you know, I think a new believer doesn't really know what the road of discipleship looks like yet, the total commitment that God requires from us. And so as they grow and mature, uh, hopefully they learn what the walk of discipleship looks like and they engage in it. They do take up their cross and follow him as they mature. Then there's the comfortable Christian, uh, the comfortable Christian. They know what a life of discipleship requires and yet they don't walk it. Uh, they choose the easy life, the comfort of this world. And that is disobedience. That is disobeying God. He calls you to something and you choose to go another way. Now, these people will not lose their salvation assuming that they have it, but they will miss out on the life that Jesus has for them. And I know from my own life, as you know from yours, that the greatest lessons you've, you'll ever learn and the greatest lessons I've ever learned are by walking the road of discipleship. This is how we become closer to the Lord Jesus Christ as we learn uh, what it means to follow him and the blessings that, that we receive, the knowledge and the experience that we receive and the blessing and the grace of the Lord Jesus as we walk through uh, these hardships uh, that we uh, go through as, our, as disciples of Jesus Christ. So uh, they will miss out on the best that Jesus has for them. And failing uh, to, to walk this walk of discipleship uh, will not cost them their salvation, but it will cost them eternal rewards when Jesus comes again in, in glory. Uh, and I, I would hope that we all here want the rewards that Jesus will, has promised to bring. So we have new Christians, we have comfortable Christians, and then the worst of all is the people who have professed belief but are really not true believers. They have never understood what it actually means to believe in Jesus Christ and to follow him. And, and people who fall into this category might be people who were born into Christian families, uh, and they think that their faith will, or their parents' faith will get them in. Uh, these may be people who think their good works are enough to get them in. They have not understood what the blood of Jesus Christ is for, uh, that it's because our works can never get us in. Uh, these could be people who think they're Christians by default because they're not Muslims or Buddhists or or uh, or uh, or. or uh, uh, what was the other one? <laughs> they're Jewish, Jewish or Muslims or Buddhists, right? Uh, they, they think they're Christians by default because they're not one of those. We meet people like this all the time. Uh, or they're people who may have you know, raised their hand at VBS one summer when they were seven years old, right? And, and now they think they're, they're, they're safe and they're Christians, but they never really understood what it meant to follow him. And these are the people who Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount uh, when, when they said, Lord, Lord, and Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. I mean, how tragic to think you're a believer and you're really not. Well, discipleship is costly. Uh, Jesus wanted his disciples and those in the crowd uh, who may have been considering following him to, to count the cost, to know what it means to be a disciple. When we buy a house, we count the cost. Can we, do we want to pay this much for a house? Can we afford the mortgage payment? Do we want to spend the next 30 years paying this house off? We go in with our eyes wide open. 
And so this is no bait and switch job by Jesus, right? Where he offers you one thing and then the road of discipleship turns out to be something completely different. He fully explained the extent of discipleship so that there would be no surprises. And so our world is filled with Christians in name only who are not real disciples. They never fully commit themselves to following him. Now, I'm not the judge of whether those people are actually saved or not. That's between them and God. That's God's job to decide. But I want to be sure I don't fall into that category, right? I do not want to be a Christian in name only. I don't want to be a comfortable or a lukewarm Christian. I want to commit my life to him. I want to follow him and show the world that the, that the riches of following Christ are so much greater, infinitely better than anything the world can offer. Don't you? Isn't that what you want for your lives? Well, it's costly, isn't it? So let's close with a couple of applications. And the first is that we examine ourselves. We need to examine ourselves. Have you believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? That's great. That's the greatest thing you'll ever do. Have you become his disciple? That's the next step. Are you daily denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him? And I say daily because our flesh demands to be satisfied every day, right? We constantly are looking to satisfy ourselves. And so we have to constantly kill this desire of the flesh, surrender our lives to him to daily follow Jesus. Now, I don't know what that looks like in your life. Only you know what that looks like in your life. That's between you and God. So only you know what God is asking of you, and only you know whether you are obeying him. So examine your life. Spend time with him. Ask God uh, what denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him looks like for you. It's different in everyone's life. And then commit to obey. And so examine yourself. And the second thing is to recommit to Jesus. If you examine your life uh, and you notice that maybe you're not fully committed to following him, just recommit yourself. That's all you have to do. God is gracious. He always forgives his children. He always welcomes us back, and he especially loves it if we acknowledge that we've not been as committed or as faithful as we could be, and we recommit ourselves to him. So maybe you've lost a little discipline in your Bible study or in your prayer life. Uh, just tell God you're sorry you've drifted and recommit yourself. Uh, maybe you're not fully surrendered to God's will. He's asked you to do something, but you're hedging. You're not fully obeying. You're afraid of what might happen if you follow him. Let it go. Let it go. Our God is good. He loves you. He will protect you. He will guide you and trust that God's plan is way better than yours. Remember Jonah's story, right? God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, preach repentance to these people in Nineveh. What did Jonah do? He went the other direction, right? Ran the other way. Ran away from God and God's will. God caused a great storm on the sea so that the sailors feared for their lives. They questioned Jonah. Jonah said, throw me into the sea and the storm will stop. They throw Jonah into the sea. God sends a great fish to save Jonah, spits Jonah up on dry land, and then Jonah goes to Nineveh to preach the gospel. Now, we could have avoided all of that hardship if he just obeyed the Lord and followed him the first time. Now, Jonah did go. He went with a hard heart, but he did go. Uh, but still, the point is that, that when we follow God's way, when we follow the walk of discipleship that he has called us to, things turn out better. God has lots of ways to get our attention uh, if we are out of his will. So a, a wise Christian will examine his or her life and recommit to him before God has to bring discipline. A true disciple is a believer who denies himself, takes up his cross, and follows him. God wants real disciples. 
And so I just leave you with the question, are you one? Let's pray. Lord God, uh, this is a, a hard road that you have called us to. It's not a road paved with health and wealth. Uh, but Lord, uh, you have promised us that, that following Jesus uh, brings infinite blessings and, and brings us ultimately to heaven, uh, where we will spend all of eternity with you, Lord. So show us your will for each one of our lives. Uh, Lord, help us uh, when we are fearful to obey. Help us to trust you, Lord. If we can trust you with our eternity, we can trust you with whatever it is that you've called us to walk through. And Lord, uh, help us to be better disciples, more committed to you. Help us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you daily. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.